Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Know It All, the ABCs of Education. Happy holidays to you all. Listen to us live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. or at any time from the comfort of your computer at blogtalkradio.com slash knowitall. Today's episode is special because of the holidays, so we're recording on Thursday, as we will next week as well. Today's show is a featured show on the Blog Talk Radio website. Be sure to follow us at blogtalkradio.com. At Know It All, we have candid conversations about the education issues that impact your community and the real-life solutions to education issues that you face every day. We aim to make you a know-it-all about education law, policy, and practice as it affects you. I am your host, Allison R. Brown of Allison Brown Consulting, ABC. I am a civil rights attorney with expertise in the laws that require equity in public education, regardless of students' background or characteristics. Keep up with me at AllisonBrownConsulting.com. Today we are talking about black men in education. As rhetoric swirls all around us about the failures of black boys and men, black boys need images to counteract such rhetoric. And seeing is believing, which is why black male educators are so important. Over and over again, words like black and white achievement gaps, school-to-prison pipeline, and black boys in crisis It's hard to imagine that these phrases, often used with good intention and the sentiment behind those words, that black men and boys exist in a perpetual state of deprivation, are not self-fulfilling. In the Greek myth that illuminated the notion of the self-fulfilling prophecy, Pygmalion is a sculptor who creates a beautiful female sculpture and begs the gods to bring her to life to exist exactly as he has imagined her. In George Bernard Shaw's famous play, Pygmalion, Professor Henry Higgins successfully trains a cockney flower girl and turns her into a high-society duchess. The flower girl, Eliza Doolittle, says to Higgins' friend, You see, really and truly, apart from the things anyone can pick up, the dressing and the proper way of speaking and so on, the difference between a lady and a flower girl is not how she behaves, but how she's treated. I shall always be a flower girl to Professor Higgins because he always treats me as a flower girl and always will. But I know I can be a lady to you because you always treat me as a lady and always will. Even the term self-fulfilling implies that the onus is on the person who is living the prophecy to overcome it. In reality, the Pygmalion self-fulfilling effect occurs in response to how the person living the prophecy is treated. How are we treating black boys? In our concern for their well-being, are we doing them more harm than good? When only 2% of the teaching population is black male, how can we ensure that black boys have the visual images they need to believe that they too can be greater than the sum of the rhetoric? We are so excited this morning to welcome to Know It All two of the most talented educators in the Washington, D.C. area and likely the country. They also happen to be black men. Joseph Isaac is the Albert Einstein Distinguished Educator Fellow at the National Science Foundation. He taught biotechnology at a science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM, high school here in Washington, D.C., where he also was the chair of the biotechnology department. Rennie Taylor teaches chemistry at an alternative high school in D.C. He also is a certified special education instructor. Thank you both so much for joining us. Good morning to you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, why don't we start with this idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy in black boys? Are we harming black boys and others' perception of black boys with our rhetoric? Well, let me start off by saying that the the self-fulfilling prophecy is a real thing. It's it's not a myth. Um, <clears throat> you see it every day, uh, and and to a certain extent, I do believe that 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 um, a lot of educators are harming 
are harming our black boys because uh, it's funny. I was having a conversation over the weekend with some friends from high school, and it wasn't until I started teaching that I that I that I dis- that I remembered. And keep in mind, when I where, where I went to high school, there were no black male teachers. <clears throat> but it wasn't until I started teaching that that I remembered, and it sort of dawned on me that there were no expectations for me. There were none whatsoever. Um, I jokingly talked about the fact that 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 the first time I met my guidance counselor was my senior year exit interview, and she had no idea who I was. She had no idea what I what 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 my capabilities were and what I had done and my accomplishments and where I was going, and didn't really care. And so I think I think that's the big difference. Uh, um, having black male educators and 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 being able to to counteract that that issue, okay, uh, having expectations, having high expectations for black boys and holding them accountable and also understanding and empathizing, uh, uh, you know, their individual situation. Mm-hmm. There is um, a lot of interest in recruiting and hiring black men in um, into teaching positions and other educator positions. You have the Call Me Mr. program that is spreading like wildfire throughout the country um, that is geared toward recruiting particularly black men into the field of education. Um, Arnie Duncan has made it a priority to make to bring more men into the field of education. Um, Rennie, do you think, isn't a good teacher just a good teacher? Is it even important that there be black male teachers, counselors, principals, et cetera, in the classroom? And if so, why? Uh, I think just as Joe identified, you know, our boys need to see that it is possible. And it makes a, a huge difference because they are able to see, they are able to make the connection that all of the hard work that they are currently doing would eventually pay off into something that could, for the most part, be an example to somebody else. So when they see a, a black teacher who is a scientist or a principal, it actually, to them, lets them know that all of their hard work would eventually pay off. And, uh, you know, in the classroom, they could be able to identify with some of the struggles um, that some of their, their teachers have been through. And it, it, it helps them to understand and know that what they see in front of them, who they see in front of them, actually um, they're not – didn't just appear, but they actually went through struggles, just as they are going through struggles. But they were able to overcome those struggles, and they are there to set an example. And it creates a really beautiful experience. Um, I see it in my classroom um, when I'm working with my students, and they are able to set even high expectations that I've set for them, simply because I am there letting them know that it is possible. And those are some of the learning experiences or, you know, simply uh, authentic learning experiences that we see in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Joe, how did you find your way into teaching, into the teaching profession? Uh, I was, it, mine was a sort of a roundabout way, and that's, and, and it's uh, indicative of, of, of a lot of teachers these days, especially in the science and uh, the, the STEM fields. Uh, I was um, 
I came out of college uh, thinking that I wanted to go to medical school and uh, not particularly having the grades or MCAT scores to do so, I stepped into the realm of biological research. And so I was um, was fortunate enough to work for uh, NIH and Bethesda Naval Medical uh, Hospital for eight years um, doing biological research mostly on uh, HIV, HIV virus. And... um, you know, it was it was a it was a definite learning experience for me. Uh, but but what it did is it taught me it taught me all of the lab skills that I ended up teaching to my kids as a biotechnology teacher, which was great. And so so after those eight years, I was sort of I was sort of done with the lab. Um, you know, I, I was really looking for something else to do. And my wife, um, she's a principal now, but she was a classroom teacher at the time. Uh, she she and my mother-in-law said, you know what, you would make a really good teacher. And I literally brushed it off. I thought they were joking. But, you know, after thinking about it a little uh, a little more and really, like I said before, wanting to, you know, get out of the lab kicking and screaming, uh, I was able to I was able to get a job with my science background as a biology and AP biology teacher at a charter school. So I taught there for two years and then, uh, when 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 the high school that I was teaching at, just the, the STEM high school, when they opened, I was the second teacher hired there, and uh, we helped build and establish the biotechnology program there. <clears throat> and so it was a perfect marriage of of the lab skills that 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 I had from from doing these eight years of research, and and my burgeoning teacher skills. You know, so from because from then on, I went on and got my master's in, in teaching uh, secondary science. And and so that's that's how I became a biotechnology teacher in in, in an inner city high school, and it's mm-hmm. been a great it's been a great run. Mm-hmm. Rennie, you are a certified special education instructor, and um, you work in an alternative high school here in D.C. with a predominantly black student population. I understand that you routinely use advanced placement and high level questions and concepts in your inclusion classroom, which includes students with special needs and general education students, how do you make sure to challenge students where they are? I think it, it first starts from, you know, pre-assessing and getting a sense of what your students are able to do. Um, and then bearing in mind that there are other factors that you need to pull into the equation to make sure that they have a really solid learning experience. You have to pull into the equation learning styles. So you have to pull in, you know, multiple intelligence. And you have to be able to craft and understand that within the population that I serve, you have to address first their social and emotional needs. Uh, Once you have a good sense of all of those factors, you know, you could then start challenging kids um, via, you know, simply taking it through, you know, differentiated instruction. Uh, and simply be able to let them know that they are capable of of, of addressing these high-level questions. And the questions are not way beyond their reach, but it's simply to be able to help them to be able to grapple with these concepts by delivering your instruction in a way that will meet their needs. And I think for the students with special needs, not because they have special needs mean that, you know, they will not be able to address these questions. It's simply being able to provide 
within your instruction, you know, the appropriate accommodations and, and modifying, you know, the assessment or um, your instruction to make sure that to make sure that the work addresses them where they are, you know. And for, for me, it's being able to pull in several different factors that would ensure that, you know, for me as a teacher, I have a healthy understanding of what the kids are able are capable of accomplishing. And I have seen that approach uh, provide uh, overwhelming uh, experience for the kids because they love it. They, 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 they challenge themselves. They, they challenge other students in the class. And, you know, as a teacher, nothing else beats, you know, the experience of seeing kids challenging themselves and challenging each other. And uh, that is what the, the learning experience I've been in my classroom. And I've done it before. And, you know, what the, the support that you provide for students with special needs also benefits students without disabilities. And so it's just being able to have a good sense of all of the factors that is needed to help students to be successful in the classroom. And I think, you know, differentiate, differentiated instruction and social-emotional learning, you know, those are topics that we'll cover on another show, but that's, that is so very crucial, I think, to really providing an equitable education to all students. So I certainly appreciate you bringing that up. Um, Joe, how do you think that, that educators who um, and administrators who want to hire and recruit and probably most importantly retain black men in education, how do you think they can do that? Well, uh, now this is a multi-pronged answer here um, because when I – and I guess the difficult thing about it is that it's a, it's, it's a, cyclical, it's a cyclical situation because uh, when I have taught, um, I, I have taught in two schools that, that, that had a good amount of black male educators. And so we, we were that role model and, and, and dynamite teachers also. But we were that role model, and and therefore you saw black males actually come up to you and say, you know, and, and with a formulated plan, I'm going to go to college, I'm going to major in education, I'm I'm going to be a teacher because of because of what I saw in you guys. You know, you you, you see that uh, uh, a lot more than 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 what I saw. You know, like like I told you, I sort of backed into teaching. Um, it wasn't on my radar, but but with black male teachers, it is on it, it is on the radar of students now because you know you see that now. The problem is is getting larger numbers of black male teachers, and 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 that's where you really have to come in. You really have to to to, to come into the college level, I do believe, and make education uh, um, um, an exciting option. For a lot of students, uh, um, and and I don't think that the undergraduate level is doing such a great job of that. And and I could be, I may be out of touch by now because it's been a it's been a minute since <laughs> since I was an undergrad. But I know the school of education was was literally a building that you just walked by. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. nothing going on in there, and 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 a lot of people just sort of saw it at that. It was bricks and mortar. It, it was, you know, 
it, it, it wasn't even a, an inkling of a chance that we would step foot in that building unless there was a party going on. Oh. And so to attract kids on the undergraduate level to education is 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 paramount. And I think what you had mentioned before in these in, in a lot of these incentive laden programs, I think that's how you're gonna get a lot more black males into into teaching. Because mm-hmm. because truly, you know, truly it, it is and 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 I told my kids this. I, I said, you know, Next to my family, you guys are the most important people in my life. They really sort of changed my life. And and teaching is that sort of a transformational uh, um, uh, occupation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, if, if you do it right and you have this effect on these children and, and you know, I have, I have kids that are, that are still asking for my counsel and they're 26, 27 years old. Mm-hmm. Like you can't find that, you know. There's no other, there's no other, uh, uh, there's no other job out there where where you're going to get that, where you're going to get that satisfaction. You're going to you're going to earn that type of trust in somebody that 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 years after they have left you, they still want to know how you're doing. They still want you to know how they're doing. They still come to you for advice or you know, hey, you were important to me. I want you to come to my wedding. Mm-hmm. You are important to me. I want you to. I want you to come to my baby shower. Things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you really, yeah, you, you can't buy that anywhere. And so, and so, just you know, starting early, uh, recruiting teachers, um, and and also recruiting teachers from alternative careers, like you know, like my story. Mm-hmm. You know, you can go to engineering firms and, and say, hey, you know what, this is really cool. Have you thought of this? And I think I think the world of education is 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 trying a lot harder to make education cool. <laughs> you know, and I think they have to because it's so important. It's it's so needed. You know, it, it's, I remember my grad school professor. She said, "You know, this is akin to holy work. What what mm. you're doing." And I I never forgot that. It's true. It's absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> and I say all the time that, you know, my my mother's a teacher and there's there's no way I could do it. I know I couldn't do it and I advocate for teachers because I think that it is such an important profession and and I think teachers are are beat up a lot for um, you know, society's transgressions. So, um it is certainly holy work. I agree with that. Rennie, were you recruited into your position? How did you end up where you are? Um you know, like Joe, I started off with the the desire to get into med school, to become a doctor. Mm-hmm. And one summer, I sort of stumbled over uh, a teaching experience, a uh, high school teaching experience. And I left that experience saying, wow, you know, I think this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. I came back, um, I shared the idea with some of my, my colleagues who are now medical doctors now, and they, they thought I was nuts. Um, you know, how could you leave, you know, such a, a great opportunity to go be a teacher? Well, the way how I looked at it, it was, you know, teaching. I was going to mold the minds of future leaders of tomorrow. And for me, that was just an exciting opportunity. And I... I came back, I, I got into a public school, um, did some teaching there for a while, um, helped 
to lead a, a department that was defunct by that time, but, you know, we were able to get it together, and the kids did well. Um, within a, a couple months later, um, then I transferred and moved to the Washington, D.C. area and worked in D.C. Uh, in the Northwest region and had a, a blast working at a school, um, a small school uh, in Northwest D.C., and I, I look back at the fact that I, I stumbled over an experience, and even after so many years, I think Joe was trying to allude to how old we, we have been in this profession, um, you know, it, it's been a great experience. And I, I would agree with him in, in saying, because I've, in my undergraduate, walked past the education department, and you just sort of walked past the building, <laughs> that it was just not a very exciting experience. <laughs> you know, now we know that it is truly an exciting experience where, you know, we get to sort of tinker with some of the, the learning approaches and strategies that would actually help kids blossom and be able to take their part in the circle of life, so to speak. And, and for me, um, I have... Never, I never regretted, you know, making that decision to be a teacher. Um, like Joe, I, I also did um, some research work working with the organic chemistry and the biology tech department. So I also brought um, that, you know, research skill and lab work to the classroom um, and was, was pretty demanding that they get it right, you know. And, uh, and, and I think at the end, the kids were really grateful that they were able to learn some of the, the laboratory skills and, and techniques. And uh, today it, it's just been an awesome experience because, you know, you get to see the kids uh, grow and know that, you know, you made the right decision. Um, mm -hmm. Yes, some of my colleagues, they are making, you know, six figures, but I think the satisfaction is, is seen, yes, that after many years the kids do come back. You know, they, they do invite you to their family uh, parties and, and, and special occasions because you meant something to them. And I don't think that uh, I could replace that for anything. Hmm. You know, I say all the time that equity and equality are two different fruits from the same tree. I think equity is a, a deeper level remedy that is based on an assessment of unique circumstances. And equality is blindly giving the exact same thing to everyone, regardless of what they actually need. I think employing black male teachers is a part of, of equitably administering to the needs of black children, but also will have benefits for all children who have to see men of color in positions of power. Um, how do you think, um, Joe, how do you think that we should have conversations about concepts that need addressing, like the achievement gap in the school-to-prison pipeline, without damaging our children? Ooh. <laughs> that was loaded. Uh, Minute. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> right. Yeah, the okay. So the school to prison pipeline. Um and 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 it if I'm getting this correctly, you want to know how we address this to our children, how to our students? Well, how do we address it as a community? So, you know, I think there's a lot of conversation. You see articles about um, the achievement gap. You see articles about um, single-parent households and, and how that, that is a, a, 
um, a detriment to black children and black males in particular. You see articles and, and commentary about criminality in the black community. Uh, and, I, you know, we, we talked about the self-fulfilling prophecy and um, how this language can perpetuate that self-fulfilling prophecy. If there are ways for us to have these conversations that about real needs in in communities, uh, particularly low income communities uh, and communities of color, which are which are often conflated but are not necessarily the same thing, um, how do we have these conversations without causing more harm to our children? Right. I think. Okay. <laughs> so, and 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 I may be alone on this one, but 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 I think that sometimes having those conversations too much brings undue attention onto those issues. And, and and this is why I say this, okay? If you say it too much, then people are going to start to believe it. Whether it's true or not, but 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 as a teacher, you're sort of you sort of have to be a magician a little bit. Hmm. You you, you you sort of have to trick kids in the, in the, to saying, hey, you know, I mean, and, and these are kids that you know in your heart have every chip stacked against them, but you can't let them know that. Mm-hmm. You have to you have to be that person that, that, that says, oh, well, Mr. Isaac said I could do this, so he believes in me, so that means I can do this. Nine times out of ten after that, once they believe in their hearts, then – you're going to see some measure of success, and so and so and so these conversations, as tough as they are, they 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 they, and 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 as needed as they are to be had. In my opinion, what I try to do is I try to 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 isolate my my children from as much of that as possible. Because because you know why? Because they get that when they when they're walking home, they get that when they go home. You know they they know they know that life is is rough. You know I've 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 you know I, I have a million and one stories that make people cry about, mm-hmm. about about situations that my kids have gone through. So to me, I have to be that sort of refuge. You know that 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 lighthouse in the stormy and you know on the stormy shore. And so that when they come into my classroom, they know that they're 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 one loved. You know. Mm-hmm. That they are respected, and and that and that hey, you know what? We're here to learn something. Mr. Isaac's not going to take no any mess off of us because he expects the best from us because he believes that we can do this. And 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 then and then you know because like I said, like I said, you only have the kids for six hours a day. The other eighteen hours is up for grabs for a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And so and so. They 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 know about the prison industrial complex because you know a father is in there or an uncle and you know they know about the plight of the community in terms of of the drug issue because because God forbid their mother is making them go out and sell drugs to put food on the table mm-hmm. they know about these so so it's so so I I like to be that person that 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 shows them these alternatives. Well, hey, you know, I mean, you know, and and, and look, the call of the hood is very strong. Mm. It's very strong. And so we as teachers, we have to be that counteracting balance to sort of try and pull them out and then then send them on on an alternative route. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and and so and so because I know, and I'm I'm, I'm pretty sure Marie can 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 agree with me on this. There have been cases where you know that it is by your intervention, yours and God's, <laughs> that mm-hmm. a, a certain child has ended up on a positive path rather than in jail or underground, six feet under. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, well, I would like to, to, to just mm-hmm. touch on what Joe was saying because he's absolutely correct. Um, I, and I also want to add that it is impossible for us to have those conversations without talking about rebuilding back our community um, mm. because the community itself has been um, torn apart. To the point that in 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 lower income communities, the, the the desire is is to keep safe and to stay out of jail rather than to see education as something is important. You know, if exactly. you have a, mo- a single mother with with two or three boys and two of them are already in jail, and you know, as a teacher, you're calling home <coughs> to say, "Hey, Johnny is not doing his homework." For some some parents, you know, they just want to make sure that the child is not in jail. You know, the homework is not the most important thing at this point. And so I think, you know, we first have to address the, the, the rebuilding of the community. You also have to address, you know, some of the social-emotional needs of that student. Students will be – students tend to make – to take risks educationally if they know that there are some safeguards in the classroom. And, and just mm-hmm. like what Joe was saying, you know, they they become attached to us. They they – they know that we are there for them, and they're able to uh, set high standards and meet those standards. But I think Unfortunately, Rennie, we're going to have to leave it there. I, I want to thank uh-huh. you both for joining us, and I hope that we've encouraged black men to apply for teaching positions. Join us next week for Know It All, the ABCs of Education. We'll be here next Thursday talking about student voice with students. Thank you so much for joining us to our audience. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.